Uh, hello again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. We're continuing our Advent series this morning. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It's printed for you on page 10 in your bulletin. There's also a children's version as well on page 11. We'll be referring to both of those. You know, Advent is a season of hope. At Jesus' first coming, there was a time of darkness. Israel was a, was a conquered nation. God had been silent for a very long time. And the coming of Jesus to them brought hope. And I want to emphasize that this morning because we could all use a bit of hope, couldn't we? I mean, after close to two years of a global pandemic, news that there might be another resurgence is just super. After too many funerals, economic woes, political worries, family trials. Who doesn't need hope, right? The coming of Jesus the first time and the hope of his coming the second time gives us tremendous joy and hope if we let it. Before we jump into the, reading this passage today, I want to give you just a little bit of background that is pertinent. So you're going to, as soon as we start off, we're going to hear about a guy named Caesar Augustus. Augustus was a title of reverence given to him by the Roman Senate. At this point in history, he was, Caesar was beginning to be worshipped voluntarily as a god. Later in Roman history, they would start to enforce that under law. But now people voluntarily wanted to worship him as God. And so this God decided that he wanted to register the empire so that he could tax it. And Luke writes for us to immediately contrast this opulent power of Caesar, the man who claims to be God and others do, with a couple from nowhere going to somewhere even more obscure who are about to give birth to the real Lord of all the earth. Luke writes to show us that even Caesar's power to tax at this point is used by the sovereign God to put his pawns in place so that he can checkmate sin and death. <laughs> and so with that view to God's sovereignty, would you please follow along on page 10 as I read from the ESV of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. <clears throat> In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now this is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before You this morning thanking You that You've given us Your Word, that You have revealed Yourself to us that we might know Your truth and be set free by it. So Father, we ask that once again, You would show Yourself to us by Your Spirit in this Word that we might see more of Your Son, Jesus, and our great need of Him. We pray You would do this, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. So our theme for today, where we're going to kind of go, where I want to wrap everything up is this, is that God's humility brings us hope. We're going to really see throughout this text the humility of our great God, which is good because our world needs hope. So we begin with a very familiar story. You guys all know the story. You could probably do the story yourself, right? They get to Bethlehem. There's no parking at the Holiday Inn. They can't afford the Jefferson. Motel 6 is full. But the manager will let them stay in the garage. That's basically what's going on. So Joseph and Mary end up in a, we don't really know, barn perhaps, cave perhaps. Most likely it's the interior courtyard, the way buildings were built back then, where the animals were kept safe. It was high traffic, high filth, interesting smells. It's shocking, even off-putting, to think of Jesus being born in that area. You know, it's one of the reasons I named this series Hope Wore a Diaper. Some of you have let me know that you're a little offended at the idea of Jesus and the filth of diapers, but you're supposed to be, because it was filthy. We're supposed to be shocked at the circumstances of our Lord's birth from His very first day on earth, Jesus shows us that he's a radically different kind of king. Everything we see in the birth of Jesus points to obscurity, indignity, even rejection. And don't miss the incredible humility of God here because it's in God's humility that we have hope in choosing to be born this way. This is a nasty place to have a baby. It's utterly filthy. And let's be candid, since we're so familiar with the story, And since we kind of arrogantly assume, well, all ancient births are filthy compared to what they look like today, we're not really that shocked by this story, are we? One ancient pastor, this this is the guy who actually led the team that translated the Bible into Latin in the 400s. His name is Jerome. Here's how he put it. He said this, he goes, he is not born in the midst of gold and riches, but in the midst of dung, in a stable where our sins were filthier than the dung. See, the shock of Christ's birth could humble us because it's not the stuff around him that was really dirty. It was the stuff in the people around him that was really dirty. 
And to consider that for us, on our behalf, the pure, lofty, glorious King of kings was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, was made liable to the curse of sin so that He could taste death for His people. His humiliation gives us hope. You know, we're a confessional denomination. That means that we have a confession. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's simply a way of taking Scripture and putting it into a more understandable form as far as theology goes. We also have these two things called catechisms, which is a fancy word meaning questions and answers. We have a shorter one and a longer one. And the shorter catechism, question number 27, talks about Christ, and it asks the question, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And the answer is Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born and that in a low condition. And it goes on, but it gives a proof text to show where in the Bible it got this. And its proof text is Luke 2.7 to show that this is the humiliation of our Lord right here. Now, Christians in the room, are you struggling with hope this year? Could it be Maybe because of your background, maybe because of other factors, you seem to think of God as aloof and distant. See again how he humbled himself to come to us in our sin. He became vulnerable to us to rescue us. In the incarnation, think about this, God chose to become someone we could hurt so that he could set us free. You know, in the last 20 years, over the conflicts that our, our country gets into, the U.S. has increasingly been using drone warfare. And it's not without controversy, because it's politically expedient not to have soldiers in harm's way, but at the same time, it sometimes can be a little too easy to pull that trigger, and so it's controversial. But the incarnation shows us that God doesn't use drone warfare. God invaded God put boots on the ground and he entered our prison. He took on our weakness. He takes on our foibles. He came as close as possible to save us. And in that humility is our hope. So when school shootings happen again, and when we mourn because the word again is no longer ironic, when COVID won't go away when we question the evil in our world, God doesn't tell us our pain is an illusion. The Bible does not tell us to suck it up. Jesus entered our pain. He put on our flesh. God knows those things hurt us because he walked among us. He gets it in every sense of the word. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. One of my favorite older writers is a British pastor from a century ago named J.C. Ryle. He says this, says, To become poor as the very poorest of mankind and lowly as the very lowliest, this is a love that passes knowledge. Now draw close to this God who has drawn close to you you will find hope. And that is the hope for the world that God has come down to us when we could not make our way up to him. He has promised salvation. And then in the coming of Jesus, he delivers on that promise. So the question I have to ask you is, do you have this hope? Because the hopeless need hope.
We start seeing that starting in verse 8. The scene shifts to some shepherds around Bethlehem. This angel shows up, scares the mess out of him in his incredible glory. And then he gives him God's message of hope. He says, King David's heir is here. The Lord is here. The Savior is here. The bringer of peace is here. And there's something happening here that we miss that just is mind-blowing when you, when you find this out. When I found this out, this blew my mind. So I want to show you a piece of archaeology. Do a little Indiana Jones here for you, okay? We've got a picture of this. You can actually go to a museum. You can t- this is in the British Museum. You can touch this stone. You can feel the engraving. This is uh, called the Priene Inscription. It's from 9 BC, so roughly a decade before the events of Luke chapter 2. It's in a city in modern-day Turkey. And what happened is this city changed their calendar to celebrate Augustus Caesar. Rome was in a huge, nasty civil war. Octavian won, became Augustus Caesar, again, about a decade before the birth of Jesus. And he was worshipped as a god because he was the bringer of peace. He was seen as the savior. And so the announcement went out, the announcement being the good news, the word for gospel. And all of that is inscribed on this stone. Let me, let me read you just a couple excerpts of the translation of this stone. Here's what they said. They said, since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, sending him as a savior. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good news, that's the word gospel, for the world that came by reason of him, it goes on. And this is not the only one of these things that was around the Roman Empire. So the birth of Augustus in this empire was called the gospel, the good news. He was called the Savior and Lord. He was called the bringer of peace. All of that is wrapped up in that statement, Caesar is Lord. And so Luke reminds his Roman readers what the angel says in verse 8, which is, no, actually, Jesus' birth is the gospel, the good news. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. The hope of the world is not the Pax Romana, the great Roman peace that ushered in this golden age of philosophy and technology and political thought. Nor is it in the American peace that many of us grew up in. Hope is in the peace that Jesus brings, is what the angel tells us with his life, death, and resurrection. It's the best news ever. And it's given to shepherds, which is also really ironic to the original readers, and we miss it. God sends his message to shepherds. Now, we get all woozy about shepherds, right? Because it's the 23rd Psalm. We love to talk about shepherds and everything. Shepherds were not the most popular people this time. In fact, a later writing, a few years after Luke's gospel came out, called the Mishnah, this Jewish collection of law, said that shepherds are all dishonest, don't let them testify in court. And God comes to these people. They were not well thought of. Back when I used to have hair, when we lived in St. Louis, and I had to get a haircut every month, and I miss getting haircuts. Anyway, um, my barber had this bumper sticker right over the mirror, so I saw it every time, and every time I saw it, I would chuckle. Because it just got better every time you thought about it. The bumper sticker said this. It said, why do aliens always abduct the dumbest people? <laughs> right? It just keeps getting better every time, right? That's what people thought of shepherds. They would be like, why would aliens abduct shepherds? See, they're not the best witnesses, and yet that's who God comes to in his humility. Boys and girls, in case you're not tracking with me, you know how this time of year you get presents, Right? 
And the, the best part of the present is that little tag that says who it's to and who it's from. And if it's a present that's to you, you're like, yes. And if it's a present not to you, you're like, oh, right? Well, verse 11, boys and girls, is the tag. It's where God says, this is to you, and it's from me, and it's a savior. He's a rescuer. He's here for you. And God comes to shepherds with that. And the fact that God comes to shepherds helps us understand the nature of this hope. We just read this earlier. I want to read it to you again, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Look at how the New Testament describes Christians. It says, not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. That God comes to shepherds with this message. That the rest of the New Testament describes us like this. It means we have hope and joy when we understand that God comes to us when we're weak, when we're powerless, as we don't have it all together. He gives us grace before we're worth it. And then his grace changes us, just like it changed these shepherds. They received the message of hope. They understood the hope. And what is the hope offered here? Let's look together at verse 14. It sums it up in one verse. What's the hope? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or we could translate it on earth, peace to people of his delight. God comes and he works on behalf of his favored people, those he delights in. Luke is saying, forget Augustus and the Roman peace. Jesus came to give us peace with God by giving us peace in God. Wholesomeness, integrity, security. Peace is that idea of, oh, it's going to be okay. That's the biblical peace. That's what Jesus offers And he does that by paying the penalty for our sins with his own blood. He takes on the punishment for his people that we deserve. And then he gives us peace with God. This angel comes and he proclaims peace on those in whom God has pleasure. And we get God's pleasure because Jesus took on God's displeasure for us. We earn God's displeasure and Jesus says, I'll clean that mess up here. You have this. And that's our hope. That's why this message of the Savior is great joy. And in that great joy, what do the shepherds do? I love how there's no command. They just kind of look at each other and go, dude, we've got to go to Bethlehem and check this out. You can look. There's no command. They're not told by the angel to go. In their joy to experience Jesus, they run so they can then explain Jesus. Oh, dear Christians, I hope you caught that. If we get the message of hope, if we get who Jesus is, if we really grasp onto what it means that Jesus came for us, we will want to experience him in worship and then we joyfully want to explain him to others. We can't help it. That's right where this text takes us starting in verse 16. The hopeful then proclaim hope having got it. This is definitely my favorite part. So the shepherds, they hear this great message. Joy erupts in their heart and they want to go and experience it for themselves. They want to go meet Jesus. Again, we're so familiar, we, we know what happens, right? They get there, and, and Mary lines everybody up to get the picture just right. The innkeeper pulls out his iPhone and snaps that picture that we all have as the model for our nativity scenes, right? It's right there. And then the shepherds, what do they do? 
they explain Jesus to Mary and Joseph. These humble hearers become joyful witnesses. These are the first people to share with Mary and Joseph who Jesus really is. Finally, someone else is in on their secret. They've known, they've cherished who Jesus is. But only Mary and Joseph knew. And now others are coming and testifying. Oh, dear church, how often are we like that, you think? How often is the reality of Jesus our little secret? We don't bring him up because, you know, it's icky. It feels funny. HR person's like right there. We're not supposed to talk about religion. Is it that? Or is it perhaps that we have so little joy that we don't really have hope to share? Oh, look at the grace of God in Jesus, dear flock, and have joy. You know, like I said earlier, this birth took place most likely in a common courtyard type area intended for animals. And all those animals were there because all those travelers were there. So their owners were right there. And I can't imagine, can you, that as it started to go around this little inn, that someone's having a baby out in the cattle pen, that people would have shown up to look. And so these shepherds don't get just tell Jesus to Mary and Joseph. They get to tell about Jesus to everybody who's gathered. It's a beautiful picture of God's providence. I remember one time about 20 years ago, I was uh, doing a wedding for this young couple in Colorado Springs, Colorado. They, were, they did not have much money, as most young couples don't. And they had a friend who was in management. I think it was probably the Embassy Suites or Doubletree. I can't remember. And they got to use the courtyard of the hotel for their wedding. It was one of those where they had the nice courtyard with the creek running through it. You know, and there's trees everywhere. There's multiple, I think it was like seven or eight stories, you know, that looks down on this courtyard. And we were mic'd up and amplified. And people just out of curiosity started coming to the balconies to see the cool, oh, look at the beautiful bride. But I could see three of the balconies. I guess there was probably another behind me they could see. But this crazy thing started happening. People just kept coming to the rails. And they just kept coming to the rails. And I'm seeing like seven floors of people just coming to the rails. Like, what's happening right now? And by the time it got to my part, I was like, there was like probably 200-something people there. And I was like, oh, we go show the gospel right now. And so we did. And that's what's happening here. God gathers these people around, and the shepherds share the gospel with this unexpected crowd. They gave an explanation for the gracious event because God reveals himself in words. He doesn't just do an amazing thing and say, well, figure it out. No, he explains himself. And when he explains himself, not everyone gets it. Just like here at the birth, not everyone got it. In verse 18, it says, some of them wondered. This is they were curious. This is they thought it was neat. This is not they believed and followed. This is my, how interesting. But when they testified who Jesus was, someone else put it all together. Verse 19 says, Mary was deeply affected. She put it all together in her mind. Mary, who had known about Jesus longer than anyone else, who carried the Son of God for nine months, she still received, pondered on, and treasured the message of Jesus. Oh, and so too, longtime Christians... Let's make sure that we're always ready to receive, ponder on, and treasure again the message of Jesus. So if you're here in the room and you would call yourself a Christian, let's identify with the shepherds 
in this story. We have been given this incredible message of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. And with joy, we get to go share it. We get to experience it in worship, and then we get to go share it with those who need hope. Now, changing the world begins with us when we tell the story of Jesus to those we care about. I mean, if we, if we get the gospel, how, how can we not share the joy and the hope of Jesus with those who are dying for hope? And if, if you're here today and you would not call yourself a Christian, maybe it's Christmas time, you're visiting with family, they made you come, I'm going to challenge you with this nativity story. Let's just, let's just cut to the chase. It's either true or it's not, right? There isn't a third option that I'm aware of. I would love to know if there's a third option you can tell me. So it's either true and therefore good, no good news of great joy that should be believed, or the whole thing is just a myth and who cares? Good luck finding hope wherever. I just want to say the story is not written as myths of the time were. You can look those up yourself. They're easy to Google. It's full of weird details and firsthand accounts that just aren't part of the genre. In fact, notice verse 19, we're actually getting Mary's internal dialogue and feelings. Luke claims at the very beginning that he interviews people. It's right here we're seeing he probably interviewed Mary herself, primary source to get this material for this historical event. And so if this story is true, see in it the love of the Creator God for you. God did not remain aloof, but engaged us. He engaged our world. He has tasted despair. He understands the dysfunction that grates on our souls. And Jesus took on that condition to rescue us. He holds forgiveness and freedom out to you. So forget everything you think you know about Christianity. Forget everything you've called religion and simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel. You'll have joy, and you'll have hope, and it'll be real. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the simple message of Jesus, this simple message of hope in your coming not just in your first coming, but the hope in the second coming. And Lord, we pray for those of us who know you and have known you for a while, Lord, we can get so used to this that we're just not amazed anymore. It doesn't move our hearts. Would you stir our hearts yet again? Would you put it all together in our minds like you did for Mary again, that we might treasure the message of Jesus? And Lord, we pray for those who do not know you, that you would do your work of salvation, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, you would draw all people to yourself. And would you build your kingdom even now, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.